This morning um, represents a dramatic change of pace, all right? I normally have a certain deadline of when I have to get my sermon together. I've got to get it to uh, my personal assistant, Sherry, who then transforms it into the beautiful PowerPoints that we have so you guys can follow along. It also goes to the slides on, on our online, and there's a, a well-oiled machine. The only problem was on um, Friday morning, I sat with my lovely wife, and, uh, and you guys don't know what pastors go through, but sometimes we look at our notes and we just go, Jesus, will you please resurrect this into <laughs> something good? Uh, in fact, that's a weekly occurrence for me. I'm like, Jesus, you got to do something. Um, but how many of you know when you preach God's Word, you can't go wrong because it's the Word of God? Uh, but I told Mary, and I said, this is a good message, but I don't know if it's God's message for this morning. And, uh, and we started talking, and the more we talked, the more what I felt emerged was, was genuinely the heart of the Lord for where we're at. How many of you know we don't preach reactionary messages, but we also don't want to ignore, in other words, we let the Word of God and the Spirit of God dictate the agenda, not the culture. But the flip side is we would be foolish not to speak into what's going on in our culture. That makes us irrelevant, like we don't know what's happening. And how many of you know the Word of God speaks to all of our situations and is the most relevant book that we have, all right, most relevant and truth that we have. So uh, we always want to speak out of the Word. But God did a divine shift. And let me just say, even before I get too far into this, um, wasn't last week an amazing blessing, an amazing service? If you weren't here last week, uh, it was incredible. Amen. We talked about overcoming, overcoming injustice. And one of the things we, we mentioned was, number one, that we have to live in a kingdom culture. And I want to keep reminding us, okay, we're citizens of the United States of America, but our primary identification is not with our nation and it's not with our race. It's with our identity as people created in the image and likeness of God, redeemed by the Son of God, covered in the blood of Jesus, and we are a new people. We are a kingdom expression. And so all of our other things that we are, it's not to diminish them. Our heritage is important. It's valuable. It's part of the creative beauty of God, all right? It's the beauty of the deposits that he makes in all the nations of the world, which is why I just want to say over and over again, this church has got to continue to be invested in the nations because it's the nations that helps us have the full perspective of what God's doing in the earth today. And what you realize is that the one common denominator that pulls us all together when you travel the world uh, and you're in worship, you don't understand the language, you don't understand some of the instruments that are being played, Last time I was in Pakistan, they were playing things I've never seen before. Of course, most instruments, I have no clue about how to play. Let me clarify that. All instruments, I have no idea how to play. But I see instruments I've never seen before. I see expressions of worship I've never seen before. But what's beautiful is it's the same Holy Spirit, and it's the same love for Jesus. So we never want to diminish our ethnicities. All right? It's beautiful. It's an expression of the creative uh, genius of God. But here's the point. We don't get defined primarily by those points. This is our definition. We are God's church. We are God's people. We are Christ's bride. And it's made up of all different colors, and that's what makes his bride so beautiful. So we talked about kingdom culture, and I want to encourage you. We have a mandate to make this place look like heaven on earth. Can you help me with that? All right? I mean, this, it's the glory of God that's at stake. People need to be able to come somewhere on planet earth and actually see different expressions of God's creation that actually love each other and work together. They have to see it. And guess where they're supposed to see it? Right here. They're supposed to see it. So can you all help me with that? I know people like Hotam are hard, you know, sometimes Puerto Ricans. You know, they're hard, you know, they're hard to love, but, um, but you got to do it, you know. All right, see, 
Now, this is a perfect lead into what I'm talking about this morning because that comment in our culture today would be because I actually made fun of somebody who I love dearly and who I kidded about his ethnicity. How many of you know you can't do that anymore anywhere in America? It's politically incorrect. But I just want to tell you in the church, it's actually a sign of health when we can appreciate and like I already told the guy, I'm, how many of you are grateful? All the Puerto Ricans, wait a minute, all the Puerto Ricans out there, this was not planned, this was completely, I hope the Holy Spirit, all the Puerto Ricans, wait, I want to, come on, all right. Hey, do you guys know how to cook food or what? I'm, hey. I just want to be on record that I am incredibly grateful for all the Puerto Ricans in the world, and I, I vote yes, all right? But I vote yes for all the others, all the rest of you all as well, all right? Because I think we're, we're richer because of that. I love what Amara shared uh, last week too about that his identity did not come from his ethnicity, but it came from his identity as a son of the Most High God. That makes us brothers, not in the sense of, of just nomenclature of a terminology, but genuine brothers. We're like related, all right? We are of the same family, and that goes for all of us. We're brothers and sisters. It elevates things and makes it even tighter is what I'm trying to get across. And then David did such a great job talking about kingdom hearts, how we all need to operate from the spirit of Jesus. We need to love one another and we need to model that. We need to live it out in our culture. We've got to have a heart that's changed though. And we shared last week that the, the essence of dealing with these incredible issues that are separating us in America, they're not political solutions primarily, although there are things we can certainly tweak and adjust. But listen to me, we will never bring this nation back together apart from a revival of, of Jesus-loving people in our country that have a transformation that starts on the inside and works its way out. This is not something you can manufacture on your own. Does anybody agree with what I just said there? That, that is the gospel message. You have to have a transformation on the inside before there can be any genuine unity. And so last week, I told you that if we looked at, no, nobody has the, the corner of the market on injustice. I've talked to our Asian families. I've talked to our black families. I've talked to Hispanic families. I've talked to white families. Sometimes white folks grow up and they're the minority in their community. And guess what? They experience the same racism that other minorities experience in a predominantly white community. So the point is this. Racism is, in, in, uh, is part of the fabric of fallen humanity. And when people hold signs that say in racism, I just want to tell them, put the sign down. Let's start worshiping Jesus because there's only one person that's big enough to end racism, and that's Jesus. Jesus, and that's not going to happen until he physically comes back. So in the meantime, we have to make sure this is a racism-free zone. Um, but guess what? Out there with fallen people, it's never going to happen. So we have to have a realistic perspective of how we move forward and how the church helps bring answers to, to this serious problem. But I told you, if anybody wins the first place prize on victims of injustice, it's the Jews. Anybody want to argue that one? It's the Jews. And they're not just, it's not just based on ethnicity, it's based on their identity as God's people. It's a demonic assignment. In fact, I just want to encourage you, this is another little twist. Perhaps we should look at the injustices as attacks of the enemy on the beautiful redemptive gifts and the various, uh, uh, various races that God has placed on planet Earth. For instance, if we're seeing black injustice, here's the question we should be asking. What is it that the devil hates so much about black culture and black people? What's the redemptive gift there? What do they bring to the mix? 
Because the weapons of our warfare are, are not natural, right? They're spiritual. And we know we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers. The devil hates people made in the image and likeness of God. So the question we should be asking is, why is this particular group under attack? It's a good question, isn't it? What's the enemy hate? What is it that they bring to the mix that's so valuable? Well, guess what? 430 years, the Jews were under oppression in Egypt. And I want to share with you, Moses shared a powerful verse in Scripture that maybe you hadn't seen before. It jumped out at me. I can't say that I've identified it like, oh, yeah, I know that verse. It's probably not on your refrigerator. But it's an important verse to help them understand how to stay free. How many of you know once they got out of Egypt, that was really the easy part. The hard part was learning how to live as free people when you've been slaved for 430 years. The hard part is how do you handle freedom? How do you live with freedom? How do you live responsible before God Almighty? And I want you to look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 7. This is what it says. God says, don't hate the Edomites. Well, who are the Edomites? That, those were the descendants of Esau, right? You remember Jacob and Esau fighting over the birthright and all that. Don't hate the Edomites. They're your relatives. In fact, they're your close relatives. So how many of you know we, we deal with uh, hatred and injustice in our own families sometimes, even in our own races sometimes. And then he says, don't hate the Egyptians because you were foreigners in their country. When you have 430 years, you have multiple generations of wounds and injustice. How many of you know it builds up? And sometimes you're hating people for things that, you know, I could hate Kenny for something that I didn't even do to Kenny, but two generations ago, Kenny got hurt by somebody he identifies with me. There are people, I'll give you a little secret this morning. You can go to a church and a pastor can wound you, and you won't like me. But I didn't wound you. But you went to another church, and you got majorly wounded by a pastor, and now you don't like me. Now give me time for you not to like me, all right? I mean... <laughs> Or sometimes if you are a woman who has been hurt by men in your life, you just hate men. You don't realize it, but you just have developed woundedness over time that sometimes is multi-generational and you don't even know why. And how many of you know 430 years gives you a long time to hate Egyptians? And God said, don't hate the Egyptians because here's why. How many of you found this to be true? You cannot live in freedom as long as you have hatred in your heart. Anybody in this room experience profound forgiveness of somebody that's really wounded you and you forgave them? Remember up to that point before you opened the door with the key of forgiveness, do you remember how bound up you were? You thought about them all the time. You hated them. You're in your mind, you rehearsed the episodes of pain and woundingness and injustice. You went over and over and over again. And you were in a cage of your own creation because of the hatred that you had in your heart. And so what does Moses tell these people who have been in slavery for multiple generations? He said, don't hate the Egyptians. But you don't know what the Egyptians did. They killed my grandma. They killed my dad. They persecuted us. They, they did all these things. You don't understand. And Moses said, oh, I do understand. I want you to learn to live as a free person now. Amen. And you can't be free when you're full of hate. And you can't move in responsibility when you're full of hate. And you can't enjoy the blessings of God when you're full of hate. But I want to rewind the tape because, you know, we don't start with full-blown hate, do we? 
Rewind the tape in your mind as to where you first started hating that person or moving in bitterness or resentment. Rewind the tape because there's a starting point and usually it's something that's not that big. Usually it's called an offense. Everybody know what I'm talking about. It's called an offense. The offense is the open door. And I, I didn't plan on you know, busting on Hotam over there just because I love Hotam. I see a smiling face encouraging me back. That wasn't part of the sermon notes. But here's my point. We, in America today, have we ever seen a nation that is so offended about everything? In fact, some people are saying we're experiencing the death of comedy because comedy is usually based on making light of some other situation that has some truth to it, all right? And we have ethnic comedy as well because we all have our stuff that we do. How about the big, big Greek wedding, you know? Remember that movie? That was hysterical. Now, I'm not making fun of any Greek people. Hey, say, Taki. Hey, Micho, all right? We got some Greeks in the house, all right? We, we got some Greeks in the parking lot. But I don't care what you say. That was a funny movie. But now, if somebody played that, that movie's probably going to be gone because, you know, they made fun of the Greeks. So you Greeks got to get mad and then they start pulling the movie, you know. No, don't get mad. Here's my point. We're living in a nation where you can't say almost anything about anything without somebody being offended. And how many, you know, that's a toxic environment. And I just want to say this too. That is a demon. It is a spirit of offense that is behind what's driving us because offense is the open door that starts to bring separation and division. And that's what the devil is after. He's always a divider. He's always a separator. He wants to come in and attack the unity that God wants to give us. Now, how many of you believe God's word is true? Wave at me. I'm setting you all up. Just wave at me. All right. How many of you know God's promises are true? You can put them on your refrigerator and claim them. Everybody in agreement? All right, let me give you a promise, all right? This is the one for this week. Go ahead and go to the next slide there. Jesus speaking, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Yes! Yes, I believe it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I think we're all laughing because here's the reality. When you wake up in the morning, offenses will be flying at you throughout the day. It is the rare exception when you go through an offense-free zone day. It's probably just because you missed one or you were having a good moment or something like that. It's not that they're not flying around. And some people get really good at being offended. They don't let any opportunity by. Some people are so good at being offended, they'll be offended for you. Some people are so good at being offended, they'll be offended for entire blocks of our population in our nation. They'll be offended for every white person, black person, every, every Puerto Rican, I'll be offended for them. They're excellent at it, man. They're good. They've learned how to master the art. Oh, there's an offense. I'm going to grab onto that thing. I mean, you know, that's not what we're called to do because the offended person is usually resentful. They're annoyed. They, they, they felt like somebody didn't honor them. Somebody treated them unjustly. And here's the point I want you to get. Injustice, whether it's real or whether it's just perceived, is the breeding ground for offense. And the satanic purpose behind every one of those offenses is to ignite division and to create strife and to destroy unity and eventually to divide us and then to conquer us. How many of you know that's the devil's strategy? The sad thing is, 
is you can't go out and take the bait. You know, how many of you have read John Bevere's famous book, uh, The Bait of Satan? If you haven't, that's one of those books you need to read about every other year. Maybe every other week, all right, depending on what season that we're in. The Bait of Satan. He basically says this. The Greek word for offense, the root word of that word is the word that means bait. It's the bait that was put on a trap. So when the animal comes up, sniffs the bait, the bait always looks really good, right? A big piece of steak or something like that. It looks really good. Uh, maybe it's a chocolate bar, whatever your, whatever your bait is, all right? A donut. I'm thinking about Ethne Cafe opening up next week. I'm thinking about the, those amazing things. All right, anyway, you put it on the, the trap, and what's the point? Whoever trying to entrap you wants you to take the bait. When you take the bait, then you get trapped, once you're trapped, you're in a really bad place. And I may of you know, once you're in a really bad place, it's difficult to get out of bad places. Because here's the sad thing. When the, when the offense opens the door, the offense is tiny, but here's what comes in. Anger, outrage, jealousy, resentment, strife, bitterness, retaliation, vengeance. How many of you know bad things happen when we open that tiny little door and we grab the bait? Now, here's my concern for us as a church family. The spirit of offense is running rampant in America today. We live in the, in the world. We live in America. Therefore, we have to be extra guarded that the spirit of offense does not poison me and does not poison you because then guess what happens to, to this environment? We bring the spirit of offense in here. We bring the spirit of offense into our homes. We bring the spirit of offense into our relationships and really, really bad things happen. Um, Here's the tragedy of it. Have you ever been involved in a relationship that you had with somebody for a very long time? I'm talking about like, oh, let's just say over a decade. How about over two decades? How about over three decades? And then something happens. Somehow an offense came in there. You, 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 you took the bait, you grabbed, you grabbed it, and all of a sudden, whack, all right? You're trapped. What happens if you don't deal with that offense? You start to drift apart, don't you? You start to withhold affection. You start to grow cool towards that person. And the tragedy of this is many times it's something that started off so small. But then the devil plays it over and over and over. And what happens is you begin to meditate and focus on that. And before you know it, you're in this full-blown condition of bitterness and resentment towards that person that offended you. And I have literally seen, because of a spirit of offense, I've seen relationships that have been decades long evaporate in, in almost a moment. I mean, you know, that's tragic. It's tragic. And so there's two groups of people that Moses warns us about, and I want to talk to you about them this morning. Number one, don't hate the Edomites. This is speaking of your family, and in particular, your church family. Now, how many of you know if we're going to demonstrate kingdom culture, we have to be on guard that a spirit of offense does not come into this place? In other words, we can be wounded, hurt, frustrated. In fact, I'll just tell you this. Some people have asked me, Pastor, how you doing? And I said, do you really want to know? Uh, normally, I'm doing pretty well. But anybody else feel like you've been a little emotionally beat up? I said, well, if I'm honest, I'm frustrated. There's a lot of things I'm frustrated about. I go out in public. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated with people. Frustrated with all kinds of people. I'm an equal opportunity frustrated with people person. <laughs> I'm frustrated with the news media. I'm frustrated with all kinds of things. I'm just frustrated. I, I'm angry. I'm, I'm grieved. 
I don't like to see what's happening to our country. I'm grieved. I'm hurt. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so many times I'm fighting to simply get out of the emotional hole that the devil's trying to put me in. And then I listen to this pastor at Living Stones who preached once that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you guys remember that message? And so I preached to myself. I go, oh, yeah, I remember that guy, that bald guy that preached on that message. Yeah, I remember that. I'm not living in right thinking and peace and joy. Therefore, I'm not living in the kingdom right now. I'm living in American culture right now. So I've got to deal with all the stuff going on in my heart because if I don't, it causes division and strife and separation. And I can't be part, I mean, you know, if you have a spirit of offense in you, you cannot be a part of bringing unity. Because a kingdom that's divided against itself cannot stand. And so if I have a spirit of offense coming off of my own heart, and I got this person I'm mad at, or this people I'm mad at, or this situation I'm mad at, or whatever it is, you identify the person, or the persons, or the groups. If I have a spirit of offense going on, I'm going to be in a bad place. I'm not going to be able to provide any solution. I'm going to be off mission. I can't move forward if that's the case. The Bible says this in Proverbs 18, verse 19. An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. Have you ever been there when you're on the other side of a gate and you want to, maybe you want to restore things or you're working at restoring things, but you feel like there's this giant, angry, you know, steel bar that keeps you separated? I love the translation, uh, another translation. It says, making up with a friend you have offended is harder than breaking through a city wall. Because what happens is when the offense comes, you start withholding love toward that person. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Listen, I, let's, let's go to the marriage situation. If Marion and I do something or she says something or I say something, out of, how many of you know usually the offense comes when you're angry, frustrated, tired, irritated, whatever, and you say something you shouldn't have said and all of a sudden it falls right out of your mouth. But how many of you know that's not necessarily indicative of you, who you are, what you feel, whatever. It, it, it fell out of your mouth. It came out of your heart. You know, you all get the point. Usually what happens when that happens in a marriage is there's instantly a sense of quietness. Which means, ouch, that hurt. And as you mature in your relationship, you realize, I just stepped on my wife and wounded her heart. And so I need to quickly say, honey, will you please forgive me for the way I said that? But normally we're not that wise, are we? we like to, we're stubborn, we're prideful. And we're like, well, she deserved it, or he deserved it. And we go on our way. Well, what happens is at that point, love begins to be withdrawn. People start separating. People separate emotionally. People separate physically. People separate in communication. Walls begin to be built. And how many of you have figured out trying to tear that stupid wall down would have been so much easier when you just had one brick, but now you've got like 50 bricks and some mortar. Would have been so easy if you just would have gone, you know what, please forgive me. I know that the way that came out was, was terrible, and I know that I hurt your heart. Will you, will you please forgive me? And then, then your spouse can say, yes, I, I forgive you. You know, I'll just say this as your pastor. Every Sunday night, I go through the same routine. I'm laying in bed at night, and all of a sudden, a thought pops into my mind. Oh, I hope Larry 
did not think I was preaching at him when I said such and such. Oh my gosh, I hope, oh, that, oh, I wasn't even thinking about him. It's almost like the devil's going, hey, you remember that thing you said, Pastor? And he brings your face into mine. Now, can I just tell you, I don't preach at people, just so you know that. Now, if the Holy Spirit's jerking your chain this morning, I got nothing to do with it, all right? I got nothing to do with it. But I'm not going to preach at you. I will talk to you one-on-one, but I'm not going to preach at you while you're sitting here and make you, oh, why did he just, I, that was a dig. Pastor's trying, no, 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 that's not how that works. But here's the problem. Anytime you open your mouth, like if I said, let's talk about this. Well, guess what? This has another side. It's called that. But I'm not preaching on that. I'm preaching on this. Y'all get what I'm talking about? And so here's what we have to do constantly is give people the benefit of the doubt. Because pastor said this does not mean he's against that. It just meant that might be next Sunday's message. Y'all know what I'm saying? So here's what you do. When all chaos is breaking out in our culture, and I just have to say this, I'm so grateful for the black leadership in this house because, because when everything, hey, pause right there. There. And I only use the term black because that's not how we talk around here. They're leaders. But I use the term black because of what was happening in our culture at the time because of the white-black issues of injustice that we were facing, all right? So I use the term black. But here's what happened. When, When the spirit of division and offense is running everywhere out there and we're meeting in life groups or we're meeting in church or we're meeting together as God's people, that spirit wants to come into our gathering. And so here, here's what someone like Shade can do as a life group leader. She can say, hey, that is not Pastor Ron's heart. That is not our culture here. That is not the way we think. That is not the way we act. That is not the way we conduct ourselves. That is not part of our vision. That is not part of our mission. In other words, our kingdom culture, our identity as believers lifted us above the spirit of offense because love believes the best. And when we actually have relationships with one another, we build equity. I had the most healthy conversation with Amra and David. Here's why. Because I love them. And I said, look, you help me. I'm a white guy. I'm trying to look Puerto Rican. Come on, I'm getting some sun. Come on. Come on. I'm trying to look Puerto Rican. All right, but anyway, uh, I'm a white guy. I see things through a white lens. I get it. So I'm just going to tell you how a white guy is processing what's going on. But will you please educate me? Because I can't crawl in your skin. Amra, you be honest with me. And so here's what happened. Because we were in covenant, right? We're in covenant. Christ is the center. We were able to have the most healthy discussion about race because we were unoffendable. Nothing he's going to say as my brother is going to offend me because he's my brother and I love him as family. So I'm wanting to learn from his experience so I can appreciate it and so that I can understand better, check this out, so that I can love him better. What's the purpose of understanding? So that we can love each other better. Isn't that good? Man. None of that's even in these lame notes. I got color-coded and everything. 
That's the, that is the Lord right there. That is the Holy Ghost right there. That's, that's for somebody right now. So we can love better. Here's the problem. The people you love the most have the potential to hurt you the most. You know, David talked about it wasn't the, his enemies that hurt him. It was his dear friend. In fact, go to that passage. I'll hit it quickly. Isaiah 55. Go to the second, second part of that verse, if you would, Meg. I'm going to skip the first part. David says, it's not my enemy. It's not my foes. He says, it's you, my equal, my companion, my close friend. He says, what good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together in the house of God. This, this by the way, is Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Psalm 55. David said the person who hurt him the most was the brother that he worshiped with at church. I'm paraphrasing it for us. It was the family member. It was a person that was his equal, his companion, his ministry partner, so to speak. That's the guy that hurt him the most. You know, um, it's interesting. If you're going to be bold in speech and action and you're going to share and you're going to communicate, how many know you're going to be a target? That's why the devil likes to keep us silent. When you open your mouth, you're going to be a target. So there's been times on Facebook when I'll get the strangest response from somebody. Like I posted something and the next response is, I'm paraphrasing, you're an idiot and I want to kill you. All right, they don't say it quite that way, but that's basically the essence, all right? And sometimes, sometimes I'll look at that response and I'm like, where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. It came from a spirit of offense. Something triggered, something set it off. And so whenever I get an email like that, first of all, it, it hits me in the heart because I'm a human being, right? Nobody likes to be criticized and being told, you know, they hate your guts and want to kill you. Nobody said that, but you get the point. I'm, I'm, this is called hyperbole. I'm making this up for effect, all right? But here's what I do. I sit back and I look at that and I go, wow. So here's usually how I'll respond. Kenny, so good to hear from you, my friend. How you guys doing? Haven't heard. I, I got absolutely attacked from a guy I played high school baseball with out of nowhere, man. You can just tell he was not grooving with what I had to say. And I said, hey, bro, good to hear from you after all these years. <laughs> and then he instant messaged me because he realized, whoa, maybe I was a little overhanded there with that reaction. But I mean, you know, uh, social media gives us the ability to say things we would never say in public, face to face. And it's so easy for a spirit of offense to get going in our hearts when we pick up something like that. So let's not pick it up. Let's not take a hold of the bait. How do you know if a spirit of offense is in the church? I'm going to hit these really fast, but take some notes because I want to make sure that you and I don't get there, all right? The first thing is, if you, you know that there's a spirit of offense in your heart, is when you begin resisting legitimate authority in your life. Why do people resist authority? Because they're wounded. Because they're offended. Because uh, they've been hurt. Many times they've been hurt by authority, all right? I'm not saying authority is always right, but I'm talking about godly authority. If you resist authority in your life, it's probably because there's some wounds there. Let's bring this to the home front. Man, I, my son, my daughter, they're so rebellious. Well, what I would say is cut through the outward rebellion and say, where did they pick up an offense? Because they're unable to receive from your leadership, which means at some point, they probably got offended. So if you don't deal with the offense, you'll be constantly dealing with the external source of the problem and you're gonna be missing it. So authority, number two, you begin to detach and drift from others. 
Now, Dave Moore's sitting on the back row back there, and I'm not picking on Dave Moore. Love Dave Moore. So, Dave, don't be offended right now. In fact, if anybody's offended by this message on don't be offended, you're a bad student. All right? You're a bad student. <laughs> I'm just... I'm just saying, if I get anybody come up to me and say, Pastor, you offended me today. You did not listen at all to this. All right. So here's the deal. I have noticed people, because, because what you do physically is what's happening spiritually. If offense comes into your life, Dave was up here sitting next to, to the bright chair in the front row, all right, at one point, but then Dave got offended. Dave didn't acknowledge the offense, but he had grabbed the bait, and now he's trapped. So then next Sunday, Dave's sitting where the Stets are sitting, right there about midway, all right? And then the next week, he's, he's sitting where Amra's at, and before you know it, Dave is a last row believer. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. All you last row believers, I'm not picking on you this morning. Hey, Aguilaris, you're with me. All right. I'm not picking on any of the, all you back row people. I'm not, some of y'all got here late. Anyway, but, but people physically distance themselves, and you know where you go after the back row? Not to the bathroom. You're out. You're gone. You're out of here. Adios. And then we start going, where's Dave Moore at? I haven't seen Dave Moore. Now, the sad thing is, whenever we do follow-up, 99 times out of 100, Al, we haven't seen you guys. We love you. What's going on? Everything okay? Oh, yeah, we're good. If you're good, you haven't been around for three months. Why are, is, did, did you get offended? Ah, oh, no, no, it's all good. You know, No, the Holy Spirit showed up, and we had an angelic visitation, and he told me that you know, we love everybody here, but we're supposed to go to X, Y, Z. Oh, really? That's how the Holy Spirit operates. No, you're going to the next point, which is you're falling into deception and vain imaginations. Because, listen, when you are wounded, you pick up a big offense lens. And everything you see, you're offended by. Yep, offended by you. Yep, don't like you either. Nope. Oh, I know why you said that. You don't like me. Everybody in the world is against you now. The whole world does not get you. Nobody understands me. I've had people show up at our new members class and say things like, you know what, we like it here so far, but all the other churches we were at eventually screwed up, and I'm not so sure you guys won't do the same thing. <laughs> we got some Coke bottle lenses of offense happening here because we're just waiting for you to show us what an idiot you truly are. Some of you need to loosen up, all right? I'm trying to have some fun this morning, and you're... You're trying to be offended for somebody that you know would not like this message. And then lastly, we become blinded by self-righteousness, which simply says, you know what? I don't care what they say. I know I'm right. I know I'm right. I think the Bible calls that pride. Pride. And you know, sometimes, again, I get so frustrated. I feel like I could solve all the problems of society if they would just listen to me. And then the Lord reminds me, um, I think they call that pride, Pastor. You might want to address that. Oh, good point, Lord. Um, when you think you got all the answers, when you think the only way to see it is your way and everybody's out to get you, I'm just telling you, you probably are moving in a spirit of offense. You took the bait somewhere and you got to get yourself free because it will destroy you. Let me quickly end with this. I want to talk about the second group of people that we need to worry about, which is the Egyptians. Now, Egypt is a picture of the world. And can I just remind all of us, that this is this little pet peeve Pastor wants to share. When the posture of most of the church is all about, 
we're just going to hand out lollipops and we want to be the church that everybody loves. All right? That's the loving church. They never make a stand about anything. They never preach on the hard passages of the Bible. They're, they're handing out groceries and they're loving everybody and we're just the loving church. Can I just tell you that's part of the gospel? But I got another scripture verse for you guys to put on your refrigerator and claim this week, all right? How about Jesus' own words in John 15, verse 19? The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. So it... Do you know that if you speak the truth, and I'm not talking about being opinionated, and I'm not talking about being an idiot and offending people intentionally. Nobody's goal is to offend people. I'm talking about preaching the truth. Do you know that when you stand for God's view on a variety of issues, you are actually hated? And instead of trying to go, oh, please forgive me. I didn't know that that was offensive to you. Do you, you remember one time the disciples tried to help Jesus out? It's a funny passage. Jesus offended the Pharisees. Imagine that. And the disciples pulled him alongside and said, hey, Jesus, we think you offended the Pharisees. As if God's not aware of what's going on. Can I just remind you, we cannot let a spirit of offense in here because we already have an uphill battle out there. And can I just tell you something? If you're looking for injustice, the greatest injustice is not going to come this side of heaven on the basis of race. It's going to come on the basis of your love for Jesus Christ. I got a call from one of our leaders uh, in the country of India who emailed us, it wasn't a phone call, it was an email. He said, Pastor, please pray for us. We're opening back up this week with social distancing and all that. Uh, obviously, India was hit hard. But here's the problem in India. They have a leader right now who's a radical Hindu and who believes that the goal is to uh, radicalize the entire nation. So if you're not a Hindu, if you're any minority group, the goal is to drive you out of the country. And there are radical groups, violent groups that go about doing that very thing, all right? So here, here's was his prayer request for this morning. Please pray that when we open up, that the neighbors will not be mad and upset with us for gathering and that the authorities will not come and break us up. And when we talk about breaking up, we're not talking about, hey guys, it'd really be nice if you don't meet right now. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about physically arresting, beating, those types of things. So that was the prayer request from India. The same prayer request could be in Pakistan and other places that we're working with across the Middle East. This is what they deal with all the time. You, Jesus said, you're going to be hated for identifying with me. So can I just tell you something? If your goal is to be the most cool, woke, hip church that everybody loves you, you're probably not at a church. You're, you're at a Christian social club or something like that, but it's probably not the church. Because the promise is if you live it and you love well, you don't even have, how many of you know Jesus loved pretty well? I'm being facetious. Don't want to be offended now, you religious folks, I'm being facetious. Jesus knew how to love people. And they crucified him. So the point's going to be here. It's coming. Paul said this. If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ, he said in Galatians 5, no one would be offended. But his point was, I am preaching about the cross. I am preaching about the shed blood. I am preaching about dying to your sin. I am preaching the message of repentance. I am preaching turn from sin and live for righteousness. I am preaching all those things. And therefore, he says, people get offended. Can I just remind you that you couldn't become a Christian until you first overcame 
an offense. You know what the offense is? You're a sinner and you're selfish and you're full of pride and you've been living wrong and you've offended a holy righteous God and that hell is coming and that if you don't stop and repent and turn and stop living the way that you're living, there's no hope for you. I mean, you know, that's offensive. And you can't even become a Christian until you've first encountered the offense. How about this? There's lots of wonderful names for Jesus. The Lamb of God. The Good Shepherd. You ready for this one? We don't put this one on t-shirts. The Rock of Offense. The Lamb of God. Little fuzzy lamb. How about the giant rock that trips you and you fall flat on your face and you realize that you're a mess and you can't do anything apart from Jesus? Jesus said in 1 Peter 2, therefore to you who believe, Jesus is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and this cornerstone, Jesus, is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. I just be a Christian and everybody will love me. No, you'll be a Christian and you will become a rock of offense if you do it well. I'm not talking again. No one, no one should leave here and go, I just discovered my spiritual gift. It's offending people. No, that's not the message. That's not the message. I'm just telling you, The world is going to wound you, reject you, speak evil of you. You're going to be misunderstood. When you stand for truth, people will take what you said. They'll twist it. Um, You might lose a job in these days. Isn't it amazing? If you just hit like on the wrong Twitter, you know, wrong tweet, uh, you can be not hired, scholarships removed from you. You all understand, we're not talking about liking evil things. We're talking about liking righteous things. So the world is going to give you many, many opportunities for offense. And I'm just telling you, let's choose not to take the bait. Let's choose to keep smiling. Let's choose to keep loving. Let's keep, choose to keep reaching out. Let's, keep, let's choose to keep our heart clean. So listen, here's why. So we live in freedom and we can love people. All right, I'm gonna have to edit this really, really fast on the go. Please bear with me. Does anybody have a yellow marker that I can highlight? Amy, you're a teacher. You got a red pen or anything? All right, edit that. How about this? 1 Peter 2.19. It's a gracious thing when we're mindful of God. When, uh, I'm sorry, for it is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow, suffering unjustly. So check this out. The offense comes, but you choose not to take it because you're not mindful of the offense and the wound and the hurt. You turn your direction to the Lord. How many of you figured out that God allows everything to come through your life for a purpose. We just sang about it this morning. Everything the devil sent for evil, you turn it to good. How many of you know offenses fall in that category? So I have a chance to offend Joe. I said something that offended Joe. You're still seething about Puerto Ricanism or something like that. I don't know. Instead of grabbing the bait, you choose to set your focus on the Lord and on the fact, ah, this was a test. The Lord was trying to see if I'm going to be immature. How many of you know people that are, are, take offenses all the time? I'm so offended, I'm so offended, I'm so offended. That is a sign of immaturity. Okay, let me show you how this works. It's not like, no, I have the gift of discernment. That ain't what discernment looks like. No, you're immature. It's still all about you, so you get offended all the time. 
can't believe they did that. Can't believe they said that. I can't. Could you even for a second think that maybe the Lord is allowing this to happen over and over and over again to get you out of the remedial spiritual learning class and to help you grow up so that you realize, oh, I'm not going to take it this time. Mm, no, I'm not going to pick it up. I'm not going, because he's trying to grow you up, not keep you with the mousetrap over your neck because you keep going after the cheese. You're going after the cheese. Get your hands off the cheese. Maybe God's creating these opportunities so that you can mature. Does this happen in your home? Happens in my home. My kids are going, hey, Seth, that's mine. Oh, he, ha, ha, ha. Civil war, ah, I'm so offended. And I'm like, here's what I say. Maybe some of you, I'm re- reliving some of your own upbringing. <laughs> Grow up. <laughs> Grow up. And I know that's not holy spiritual. I probably need to go to the parenting class and relearn some things. But I've said that before. Grow up. Because adults don't act this way. And you want your kids to move out of that and actually start treating each other like they like each other. Am I, I'm trying to bring this as real as, as, are we getting this? So this stuff happens in our life to mature us. It says about Jesus when he was reviled. He didn't revile back. When he was mistreated, he didn't mistreat. He looked unto God who was going to bring perfect justice. I end with this. My mom used to tell me this. When I was especially ornery and I was launching many opportunities for her to be offended with my behavior, she would say, your father is coming home. (laughs) No, not that. And then I would start repenting profusely and try to back the tape up so those words would be retracted. Your father is coming home. Let me give you a secret. When the person out there who's a nice person made in the image and likeness of God, but they're controlled by a spirit of offense and they're trying to get you to take the bait, Mikey, eat the cheese. <laughs> and here's what you need to say, not to the person, but to the devil. Our father is coming home. And uh, he, he's going to deal with you. And so I'm not going to try to bring vengeance. I'm not going to try to bring justice in my own way. I'm going to look to the Father. I'm going to remind my enemies, Daddy is coming home. It ain't going to be pretty for you. So you need to repent and become sweet like Jesus. But even that's offensive to people who are trapped in darkness and don't want to hear anything about Jesus. You see how this works. Love the Edomites because they're your family. Love the Egyptians because you were once slaves there and you don't want to continue to be slaves. You want to love them. And I, this just jumped out. Last thing, I promise. I've, I've lied three times already. Forgive me, all right? Don't take an offense. Last thing, I'm reading through my Bible this morning. This jumps out at me. When the Lord spoke to Joseph and Mary to take baby Jesus Because Herod was out to kill him. Does anybody know where God told Mary and Joseph to take Jesus? Egypt. That blew my mind. Of all the places, God would say, take my son for protection. He sent him back to Egypt. How many of you know the very people that have been the source of your wounding and pain can someday... Be the very people who are the source of your blessing 
and answers to your healing. If you won't be offended by what they did wrong, instead you'll believe in what God's trying to do in their life to free them so they can be free like you. But we can't do it if we're full of bitterness. Stand to your feet with me. I just want to pray this morning. We're going to do this real quick. I'm not going to have you come forward, but I do want you to respond if you would. Can you just bow your head with me? I just want to ask you this question. Has your heart been tangled up like my heart? And do you need to release some stuff? Frustrations, bitterness, resentment, whatever it is, just anger, whatever it is. You you need to release the offense and ask God to set you free from that trap. If that's you, just lift your hand up. I just want to see your hand and pray with you. Amen, amen. There should be lots of us. We live in a fallen world. If you have a heart that cares, you probably have many opportunities to get tangled. Father, we're lifting our hands now just to, to say, Lord, it's me. I'm guilty. Help. Help, help, help. And Lord, we, we release this person, this situation, this global problem, whatever it is, big or small, we release it to you. We trust you. We ask you to untangle our hearts, Lord. And Jesus, we ask you to fill us with joy and peace and, and contentment, God, and satisfaction in you. Lord, we know that you're, go- you're coming and you're going to make all things right. So we trust you. In the meantime, help us to model what the kingdom of God looks like. All of us together, all of our different stories, all of our different colors, Lord, all of our different histories, all under this amazing banner of love, the banner of Jesus Christ. Help us to live this out. Lord, we pray for the world which doesn't get it, the world which you said would hate us. We pray for our friends in the body of Christ, that you'd knit our hearts together. We, we pray for those that are persecuted around the planet. God, we ask you to protect them and strengthen them and help them to keep loving you and loving their neighbor, even in the midst of many, many enemies that surround them. Thank you, Lord, for receiving our heart cry. Thank you for washing us clean. Now, Lord, help us this week to be liberators like Moses, liberators of people who maybe are trapped in the spirit of offense. And God, I pray with my brothers and sisters, break this spirit off of our nation, God, so that we can begin to see hearts coming back together, lives coming back together, people coming back together. Lord, we pray this for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.